Good afternoon, brothers and sisters. Good afternoon to the freaks of Sector 4. Good afternoon to the hooker princesses and to the, and to the gigolo kings. Good afternoon to the pimps and the schlubs and the chud lords. Good afternoon to the Navy ship captains calibrating their guns. It's Saturday the 14th of January, 2023, in the age of Boblimpdok, all kinds of shit can happen. You're traveling on nature's fudge highway, your car is brown. It smells bad. Yeah, it is Saturday, January the 14th. Saturday the 14th, like that funny movie from the 80s. I'm just your one-armed penis, I mean pianist, I mean I'm a shitbird. So here's an update. About almost a month ago, it'll be a month and a few days, about five days, well, about a month ago, I was walking to Davis. It was uh, one of those days. It was a Monday. I wanted some potato chips. So I was walking to Davis just after, you know, one of these snowstorms left its soapy mess. Yeah, I was walking to Davis, you know, like I often do when I'm crazy. I was walking to Davis to go get myself some Lay's wavy potato chips, the plain kind. Hard to find. You can find the stuff that's jalapeno peter and fucking chocolate surprise, but you can't find, it's harder to find these days the plain wavy's potato chips. And you know, maybe there's lots of reasons. I mean, oil, pro you know, like f food oil, like vegetable and animal product oil, but oils for consumption, for human consumption, those prices have been going up. And maybe they're, you know, air frying more of this stuff. Like, it's, you know, it kind of explains why a lot of these fucking tortilla chips are starting to taste like cereal chips, you know. 
corn corn flakes. Maybe it's because they're air frying, um, and they're and they're using as little oil, vegetable oil or otherwise. But anyways, I was walking to Davis to get some potato chips, and I slipped on the ice. It was cold outside. It was real cold. I didn't really need to go to Davis. I could have easily just stayed home that night. It, it goes into the category of what the fuck were you thinking, Dan? I mean, why was it so fucking important to go get some fucking potato chips on December the 19th, 2022, Bo Blimp Doc? But you know what? If you feel like getting some fucking potato chips, you feel free, man. I'm not going to judge you. You don't have to judge me. I slipped, I fell. It was, I guess, a fairly just, you know, lucky, lucky accident because I kind of slipped and fell at the, at the worst spot um, in the worst way. I mean, I, I hit my arm perfectly. I broke my left humerus into two pieces. And when I went to the ER, the guy was like, oh yeah, we'll wrap it up and we'll send you home with a sling and you'll come back in a week and we'll give you a cast. And that sounded pretty good at the time. I mean, at the time, it sounded really cool that they were going to give me a fucking cast. Because I've never had, well, I had never had surgery up until that point. And if I could have avoided surgery my whole fucking life, guess what? I would. So I go back for my checkup and they say, no, Dan, it, look at this. The bones aren't really healing and it'll take months and it'll heal wrong. So you have to get surgery. And I'm fine. You know, I'm not beating up on these folks. Overall, they're, they're decent people. And I, I feel like they did right by me. So I'm not beating up on them. If you're hearing a little bit of attitude, it's coming from me. It's about me, not them. Not them. So they send me home with some Perkies. That's Percocets. And they say, you're going to come back in a few days and you're going to get surgery. And we're going to take care of it. We're going to take care of your bone. <laughs> Just like my prostitute used to say. Yeah, so um, they had to reschedule my surgery a couple times, and I'm going to drink a little coffee here. And just, you know, full disclosure, I'm still on pain meds, so if I sound a little weird, uh, some of that may be the Percocet. So, so they canceled and rescheduled my surgery a couple times. It was going to be Friday, and then it was going to be Monday, and then it ended up being Wednesday, and then it happened. And that's fine, too. I mean, beggars can't be choosers. And, and I really don't want to go into the specifics, but this is not something as a person without health insurance I could have afforded. I, I did sort of figure out a way with my friend of what a way we could have done it ourselves. It would have been horribly brutal and painful, and it probably would have involved near alcohol poisoning. But I'm pretty certain without surgery, me and my friend could have put my arm into some kind of fucking hobo vice and kind of kept that bone in place for a couple weeks, just long enough for it to stay there. 
But um, that's pretty fucking medieval and brutal. And in that situation, you know, a person might die of shock. <laughs> you don't know. But yeah, um, beggars can't be choosers, and so I got my surgery when I got it. And the doctor did a pretty good job. I mean, I, I can only say that compared to before, it's way better. Like before, it was just these two bones, and they would clink up against each other. When I got up, when I got down, when I had to go to the bathroom, they would scrape against each other. And if you can imagine that was uncomfortable and without pain meds, rather painful, the answer is yes. Is it the worst bone injury you can suffer? <laughs> Phrasing. Is it the worst bone injury? Well, I think anything involving your legs where it's a break like this would be worse. Um, I mean, I guess in a way it might not be so bad, but I think it would just generally be worse. And if you don't have any resources, you're more or less trying to do a lot of things. <laughs> Um, by yourself that you just couldn't do. At least in this situation, even with my arm just kind of dangling there in a sling, um, painfully and horribly, I could still, you know, go to the bathroom and do other stuff by myself. So it, it sucked, but it wasn't the end of the world. wasn't the worst thing in the world. Um, and now that the surgery is done, like I, you know, it's, it's way better. It's better to not have an arm dangling there. Now, I was kind of hoping when the dude, you know, did the surgery that he would have put in a ball joint. Because if, if he put in a ball joint where that clean break is, I could have three elbows. I could have a weird left arm. Yeah, I would have a weird left arm. I would have a spaghetti arm. I could swing like some dangerous weapon. And, you know, so yeah, I would have been happier. If the, if the dude had put in a ball joint instead of just plates and screws. But, you know, that would have also meant a lot of fucking training. Um, probably setting some type of connective tissue for bone. You'd have to dissect and resect a lot of muscle in the arm and set it there. And probably a couple years of physical therapy. So it's unbelievably implausible. But instead... You know, but still, a, a fucking ball joint there where I could have two elbows in my left arm. That shit would have rocked, man. And it'd be like, you know, come over here, baby. Oh my God, how you hug, how you hugging me like that? Because I love you, baby, and I got two elbows in my left arm. No, that's not how that would work out. I'd probably get slapped across the face, you know, slapped in the face, and I'd probably have to live in the sewers for the rest of my life and eat rat testicles and just, you know, thrive as I would. Periodically coming to the surface as I slowly lost my ability to see, 
Yeah, I mean, probably having two elbows in your left arm isn't as, isn't as sexy as it sounds. It would look weird, it would be strange, it would be off-putting. And you'd probably alienate a lot of the normally elbowed people. I'd have to identify as a person with three elbows. And they'd say, oh, what's the problem? I've got three elbows and nobody will hire me. Everybody's prejudiced against a person that has three elbows. Everyone's angry at the person that has three elbows. topic. Um, but anywho, I am improving. I'm starting my physical therapy. So before I go too deep into the next topic, you know, I may have to go in for additional surgery. He mentioned opening up the wound and packing it with sawdust and diesel fuel. He said that you'd have to really jam in there broken glass and metal shavings. And it's the only way you'll become whole again, Dan, if you jab into that wound, jam into that wound, metal shavings and sawdust and diesel fuel and broken glass. And then, you know, I said, okay, you're the doctor. I understand the science of the future. I mean, we'll do that. And then he also mentioned physical therapy. So I'm starting to do some exercises. One is called the dick twist. You take your left hand and you massage your right testicle. You imbuvulate your drink disc until it becomes fovula. As you squeeze and release the drink disc juice, you collect it in a small plastic bottle. And then you, you put that in the fridge and you bring it to your next doctor's appointment so he can analyze it, so he can look at your spunctus, so he can see into your seed. He can look at the lost millions, the lost millions who will never be born, never walk the earth, never kiss a girl, never go to a movie, the lost billions. He's also having me do what's called a scrinctus roll or a double triple boov or a cub, a triple cubby, where you take your right arm and you pull it between your legs, you take your middle finger and you insert it into your anus, you start singing Christmas songs as you twinkle your left hand and you imagine Scarlett Johansson, you know, working as a dishwasher a dirty dishwasher, 
And yeah, that's called a cubby or a triple cubby. And he had a few other physical therapy routines he recommended, all of which were uncomfortable, but I'm already seeing results, you know? Already seeing results, that's good. Yeah, so next topic, anywho. So in the past on the Little Saigon Report, in the last two years, now the Planetary Status Report, going back a few years, I've talked about Sovietology. And once again, Sovietology is a practice, I, I think, that originated mainly at CIA during the Cold War. And it was just another way of talking about interpreting um, foreign newspapers that are likely highly censored. So having people read Pravda, Izvestia, other types of journals and magazines published by the Soviet Union. And what you do is you learn to read between the lines. You learn to identify outright contradictions or lies. And what this does allow you to do is sort of glean the purpose of the article, to understand why it was put there. Now, it's not perfect. It's not really a science. I guess you could call it a form of hermeneutics. But um, I, I wouldn't say there's a science behind it. It's, it's just mostly interpretive literature. Anywho, uh, I've, I've mentioned since at least 2019 that if you're going to read the journals and magazines uh, published in the United States, and I don't care how alt-right or alt-left your source is, if you're going to read anything that's allowed to be popular, you kind of have to be a Sovietologist. You have to sort of look, look deeper and read between the lines. For example, in the last couple weeks, there's been all these outages these airline outages, cancellations, flight cancellations, and then we had the FAA um, this weekend, whatever, a few days ago, not this weekend, but a few days ago, it had an outage. And the explanation is, well, there were a couple contractors and they were shitheads, blah, 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 Hanlon's razor, blah, blah, blah. The most likely explanation is incompetence. But I'm gonna tell you, from a Sovietological perspective, I don't think that's true. Like, I don't know what the real cause of the outage is, but I don't really believe it's because of some random couple of um, contractors. And even if it were, even if that were the cause, the primary cause of the event, it still fits into the column of collapse. Okay, that's the thing about Hanlon's razor. Before you feel better about, well, I feel so much better now that I can recognize that most bad things are due to incompetence and not evil. Well, it does feel better, but um, that doesn't make it true. Uh, and, and the thing is, if you do want to go down the road of incompetence is the best explanation for planes falling out of the sky and FAA outages and food processing plants catching fire, and, you know, any number of other types of events. If you want to go down that road, understand that at a certain point, enough incompetence equals collapse. So Hanlon's razor doesn't really fucking help you. It might help you with the ethical overtones of what is happening, but it doesn't help you with what is happening. It's still happening. Um, my own perspective is that the snowstorm that we've been experiencing is probably 
100% the result of government operations. It doesn't mean that global warming is real. Um, it doesn't mean that we fully understand why they're doing what they're doing. I am convinced they're doing something. Uh, they're doing something with respect to geoengineering. But I can't prove it. All I know is, is that if you were dumping a lot of geoengineering materials into the, into the sky over a certain period of time, and you already have you know, flight attendants and flight crews suing airlines over what's called toxic air syndrome, which means you already have people who are suffering the effects of flying through these plumes of, of crapola, if you were having to go overdrive, like dark winter overdrive with all this stuff, then you probably would cancel a couple flights. You probably would, you know, have the FAA down. You probably would try to shut down air flights, period, because it simply wouldn't be safe. At a certain point of saturation, a lot of these materials to include barium and aluminum oxide become toxic. And I don't mean in the long-term cancer dementia sense. That's already happening. I mean in the short-term toxic shock or allergic reaction sense, which means like those Wuhan videos from early 2020, the level of toxicity in the air is so bad you simply fucking drop dead. And so if you were dumping that much shit into the atmosphere, you probably would cancel a couple flights. It seems like a thing you'd do. Um... And I've covered this with other issues as well. Back in 2019, the Trump administration made an announcement about redeploying small nukes to the Navy and small nukes to the military, which means nukes that are considered tactical nukes around, you know, between 5 and 15 kilotons. And you'd say, Dan, why is that a big deal? Well, so most of our stockpile in terms of our deterrence is the result of something called the fusion or thermonuclear reaction, which means that 90% of our deterrence is about the hydrogen bomb. The hydrogen bomb is a three-stage weapon. There's a conventional stage, there's a fission stage, and then there's the fusion stage. The conventional stage squeezes plutonium to a supercritical state so that slow neutrons can cause spontaneous rapid reactions, and fission. And that explosion of that small nuke, that small sort of Hiroshima nuke, 5 to 15 kilotons, superheats deuterium and tritium, primarily, I think, tritium, and that creates the thermonuclear or fusion component. And that takes the yield of what would be a 15 kiloton bomb up to between 250 kilotons to 1 to 2 megatons. Um, and a lot of these modern nukes are, um, they're configurable, which means that you have, you have a low end of saying, I want it to be 50 kilotons, and you could have a high end saying, I want it to be a megaton, which means you can dial in the yield of a lot of these modern nukes. But here's the bottom line. The tritium in the nuke that enables the third stage has a half-life of 15 years. Which means that if you don't, you know, rebuild and pull these nukes out and rebuild them at a facility, like I think Pantax, I think Pantax or something like that in Texas. 
if you don't pull these nukes out about every 10 to 15 years and rebuild them, they lose their yield. And eventually they become nothing more than, you know, something like a Hiroshima bomb. And so when Trump, when the Trump administration made this announcement in 2019, it seemed absurd to me. It, 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 the, the backlash seemed absurd, but one of the first things that, that occurred to me is what if the United States hasn't been able to do anything to update tritium in the nuclear stockpile for 20 years, maybe, maybe, maybe longer. Um, and again, they could go through the motions and make it look like they're doing it. They could pull the nukes out and send them to the facility and bring them back. But the one thing that would be missing from the equation is the tritium. And people say, oh, Dan, that's crazy. Listen, folks, especially if you're one of these fucking small government Republicans or libertarians, and you're constantly reminding people how incompetent the government is, why do you think they would be so good at this? You know, it's funny. A lot of libertarians get cornered on this. One of the reasons I'm an anarchist, they get cornered on this because they'll say, well, I hate the government, but I love NASA. <laughs> I hate the government, but we need a strong national defense. And they'll say, you know, the government's shitty at everything except for like going to the moon or making sure your hydrogen bombs are fresh and, and new. But the thing is, this is high technology. So, so of the things you would expect the government to be good at, these are things that if you believe the government's incompetent, they would not likely be good at it all. For example, if you're one of these motherfuckers that believes a story about the two contractors at the FAA, oh, there were a couple contractors at the FAA and they renamed a file and all the planes couldn't fly. If you believe that fucking Hanlon's Razor bullshit, then how the fuck or why the fuck wouldn't you believe that our government hasn't updated Tritium in three decades? And if that's true, by the way, if our nuclear deterrence is one-tenth or one-twentieth what we claim it is, perhaps one-one-thousandth, um, then guess what? That's actually bad. I, I'm not a big fan of nukes. I'm a, not a fan of war. But if you believe that deterrence is a thing that works, if you believe that mutual assured destruction works, then believe me, if our enemies know this, if they know that our nukes aren't what they used to be, that all of our nukes are more or less Hiroshima bombs at this point, then that would be pretty bad. Um, because from their perspective, we already look crazy, which means we look irrational. The thing about mutual assured destruction is it's based upon the assumption of rational behavior. You can't really apply the, the rules of game theory to schizophrenics or our current government. You know, you can't. You, you put a schizophrenic in a room, you want to play chess, they pick up the rook and they shove it through your fucking eye. Okay, that's how they're going to play chess. You, you meet a schizophrenic in a fucking room, you want to play go, they pick a bunch, a bunch of those fucking rocks, those little polished pebbles, and they shove it down your fucking throat. And that's how they're going to play go. You can't apply the rules of, of game theory to crazy people. And you can't apply the rules of game theory to our current administration. So if you couple the likely lack of deterrence with crazy, that's not so good, okay? So again, the Sovietology, you know, you have to ask the questions. You have to be willing to look deeper. Another thing that popped up in 2020 
The National Weather Service claimed there wasn't enough bandwidth to publish data, weather data, from its web services any longer. And I can tell you, this was, you know, the year that everybody's watching Pornhub for free, everyone's zooming it, everyone's doing the online gaming. And I can tell you that the type of data, the type of scientific data that this, these weather points are pushing around is tiny. It is minuscule. It is low frequency. They are small data packets. To translate it to human, the article I read from the National Weather Service that they could no longer publish weather data from their web services, that was a lie. I don't know what the truth is, and neither do you. But that was total bullshit. Again, if you're, if you're being a Sovietologist, you have to look for things like outright lies, outright contradictions, things that don't make sense. In 2014, the summer of 2014, I believe July 2014, that year that ISIS rolled into the desert with brand new Toyota pickups, <laughs> that was fun. In, in July 2014, there were a couple of air, airline crashes. Both Malaysian airlines. Um, one of them was a claimed shoot-down event over the Ukraine. The other crashed in the Indian Ocean. And, and again, I don't know which one happened first from memory. And for purposes of what we're about to talk about, it, it kind of doesn't matter. It doesn't really matter which one happened first. Um, what I do think is that one of these events was meant to occlude or take the attention away from the other. The Indian Ocean event, I don't know that they ever solved it. Like if any of my listeners want to send me a link to an article that says they figured out where that plane crashed, fine. But one of the things I've mentioned about the subject of the methane bomb when I've talked about it, and it's an ugly topic, and I don't know 100% if it's what's going on. It explains a lot of the nonsense, but not all of it. But one of the things about the methane bomb is that you end up with spooky events at some point that sort of rival the Bermuda Triangle, and probably caused the Bermuda Triangle. You end up with coastal methane plumes that occur outside the Arctic Circle. And, and coastal and other types of oceanic methane plumes that are so catastrophic that if you're a ship going over them, or if you're a plane flying over them, you'll drop like a rock. And you'll drop like a rock until you hit, pretty much hit the bottom of the ocean. So if you're a ship going over a methane blowout at a certain scale, you'll sink very rapidly, and then you'll, you'll sink all the way to the bottom. If you're an airplane, you'll rapidly lose altitude. And if you hit the water where this methane plume is, you'll keep going. Again, I don't know the truth of 2014. I don't know if, I don't know if any of the stuff we were told about these events is real. But what I would mention is that when it comes to the news, okay, like this FAA article, you have to be willing to just say to yourself, what do you think is true here? Do you believe it? Is it believable? Does it match the basic truths that you've been told in the past? Does it contradict things? Contradictions are important. It's like the articles that were coming out from the Trump administration in 2018 and 2019 about Arctic sea ice. 
you would you'd read an article that said there's never been more arctic ice and then you'd read another article from the same administration saying the arctic is open for business and keep in mind they're beginning winter time arctic sea traffic i think i think it started a year ago not summertime arctic traffic but winter time they are going through the arctic ocean with minimal icebreaker support because a lot of what's on the surface is really slush. And they're doing it in the winter time. So that doesn't really match the argument there's never been more sea ice, doesn't it? Again, I'm not telling you what the truth is. I'm saying when you find a contradiction, you have the you have my permission to throw out both statements. To get rid of both. Say no, it's it, it, both statements are false. Together they're false. Get rid of them. Focus on what's true. Next topic. And I'm a bit all over the place in the podcast. I don't think I'm going to be back up the podcast speed here, full speed, until I get a little bit more improvement with my left arm. But I didn't want to leave you hanging either. So cut me some slack. Next topic. Something about (laughs) Russia sending its biggest gun, really a giant mortar to the Ukraine to hurl, what, giant mortar shells. They, you know, they they intimate that this mortar, this weapon can be used to launch nukes. Well, okay. I, I wouldn't want to be launching tactical nukes from that thing, but who knows. I, I don't know how much of the Ukraine thing is real. You You need to judge for yourself. I... The one thing I said early in the conflict is that if it lasts longer than a few months, and more importantly, if it has a tempo of spinning up and slowing down, spinning up in the spring, slowing down in the autumn, then I believe there's something else going on. And so far this winter, other than random stories about missiles blowing up barracks that I can't possibly verify and neither can you, so far there's not been this giant Putin offensive. Like, I, I, yeah, prove me wrong here in January, great, but so far it hasn't happened. What it looks like is that the Ukraine conflict went from 11 down to 3 in October, September, October, and if I'm right, sometime in February, March, it's going to go back up slowly to a 6, a 7, an 8, a 9. What does that mean? If, if a war, quote-unquote a real conflict, where one of the belligerents has a history of competency in winter warfare. What does it mean if the conflict kind of like goes into a lower mode during the winter time? Well, maybe it means nothing, right? I mean, it's strange to me. It's absurd. The Russians know how to do winter combat. Why wouldn't they be launching a major ground offensive right now? Why would they give the Ukrainians any time at all to do anything? None of this makes any sense. So if you want to believe the Ukraine war is everything you've been told it is, fine. Me personally, I'm tilting closer and closer that the Ukraine conflict, one of its purposes, is to more or less take, you know, the weight from the former COVID psyop. Until whenever. Until whenever. Who knows when. Next topic. So I read an article about how there's a great fear of homeless people in Seattle setting fire to shit. Ugh, I don't want to spend a lot of time on that. I don't know. It's it, The homeless thing, people... 
it, in many ways, the homeless problem, the homelessness problem in this country is a kind of prism or filter, or, or maybe it's, it's almost like a Rorschach test. It tells you more about the person with the opinion than the homeless problem itself. If you believe that all the homeless people are drug addicts and crazy, that's fine. I mean, I'm not sure your situation improves in terms of finding solutions because in that scenario, about all you can do is build facilities and tax the hell out of people because none of this is going to be built for free. So if you believe that the several thousand homeless people, I don't know what the current estimate is. I know a few years ago it was around 20,000, but let's say it's still between 20 and 30,000 homeless in the Seattle area. If you think that there are 20 to 30,000 homeless people in the Seattle area that are serious drug abusers and are mentally ill and criminals, what the fuck are you going to do? I don't believe you're right. I wouldn't even say half of them fit into that category. But let's go to magical fucking pretend land. Let's turn on the Fox News. Let's turn on the CNN. Put on your magical pretend helmet and, and convince me that those twenty to 30,000 homeless are criminals and drug addicts. Um, not families, not people with kids, but they're criminals and drug addicts and crazy people. What is your fucking plan, King County? What's your plan? If I cede to your argument that it's not a, a more or less reflective demographic, that it's all bad, crazy, drug addict people, if, if I give in to your argument, I still don't see your solution. The whole putting them on a fucking island in the Puget Sound, the Puget Sound is becoming a dead sea. You can feed me all this bullshit about eating crab and fishing for salmon, but if the killer whales are leaving and not having kids, I'm, I'm kind of thinking the other penultimate predator living on that fucking island isn't going to be doing so fucking well. So I don't like talking about the homeless issue, in part because I think that this is just a vision of the future for a lot of people. You know, if you live in a city and, and you see how the homeless live, understand there will come a day when a couple things will happen. One, your situation will be closer to their situation. And two, a lot of those homeless people, unafraid of the cops that don't show up any longer, are simply gonna squat homes. They're gonna move into places that are warm. Okay, when they understand that there's no longer a police presence keeping them from moving into an abandoned home or a home owned by BlackRock or some Riot for the purposes of your fucking 401k bitch, fuck you, when they understand that no one's going to stop them from squatting to keep their kids from freezing to death, then they're going to do it. Those two things will happen at some point. You're scared of all the scary homeless people because you are scared of the future. Okay, if you live in a city, that shit is not going to get better. And yeah, you can kill them. I mean, it's funny, especially a lot of these quote-unquote conservatives talking about a depopulation agenda, you know, for five or ten minutes, and then the next ten minutes talking about killing homeless people. You can kill them, okay? You can try doing that. Killing twenty to 30,000 people won't be so fucking easy. But what do you do with the next 30,000? Oh, well, we can we can drown them, Dan. We can load them onto the ferry and sink the ferry. 
You can do that. You can do that, buddy. So I finished off the last few episodes of The Walking Dead, and let me just say what I'm going to say. The last couple seasons of The Walking Dead sucked. The last episode of The Walking Dead was really fucking stupid. It's like in the last 20 minutes or 30 minutes or 20 whatever it was, they stuck in these little sort of munged up kind of like montage little stories concerning Rick and Michonne and all the fucking threads that were left frayed in the hasty attempt to tie them all off, cut them all off, and make it look all good with a fucking patch. But it sucked. And it reminds me of this pattern that I've seen for the last seven, eight years. There have been these TV programs I've watched, and it seems like their last season ends up becoming this giant shit show. And I don't know why. It's like Mr. Robot. Season 1 through 3 were okay. Season 4, they went completely off the rails. And again, I have no fucking clue as to why. You know? It's, it's one of those things that makes me wonder. You know, I've talked about culture in the United States in the context of decline for reasons. You know, to talk about how we can look at the signs of the times, not just in economic terms, or sociological terms, or even militaristic terms, but we can see signs of the times in culture. And it struck me for the last few decades how uncreative um, pop culture has become, uncreative, uh, repetitive, and prepackaged synthetic nonsense, a monoculture that's become a nothing culture. But it's also the case that it's not just that these things repeat themselves and become crappier and noisier, but you have these situations where maybe there is a program or a show that seems to have a decent message, and then all of a sudden they switch gears and it's like, whoa, wait a minute, it was all about this other thing. Oh, wait a minute, we're not going to tell you what happened to Michonne or Rick. We're just going to give you a montage of helicopter scenes and Michonne on a fucking horse and other types of stupid bullshit looking like a Scientology movie and then say, fuck you. I don't know. If people were being told that the show is almost over, and I don't mean the TV show, I don't mean the movie, I mean the big show, I mean what you would call human civilization in 2023 Bo Blim talk. If people with resources and fame were told the show is almost over and there is going to be an after party, but not everyone's invited, just like George Carlin said, it's a, it's a big after party and you're not invited. Yeah. Now, that's not what he said, but I'm paraphrasing. Um, 
if you were told this, you'd have a lot of thinking to do. And if you were an actor, for example, and you were told this, what would you do? Like if you found out that the show was almost over, would you commit to major movie projects, TV projects? And what if you were told that one of the things about the show almost being over is that everybody gets to play? It's like, you know, basketball in elementary school. You know, you, you, you get to the, the final period and one team is ahead by a bazillion points. And so both coaches nod at each other and say, put in the third string, put in the fourth string, put in Dan, put in Dan. The outcome of this game is now predetermined. Let Dan play. If that's what was going on, you'd see a lot of third stringers. You'd see a lot of like incompetent bullshit. You'd also see a lot of political bullshit, contrived bullshit, all designed to keep people fat, dumb, and happy until when? None of this has a very long shelf life. All of this has a relatively short half-life. So when it comes to military psychological warfare and manipulation, it's not like you're gonna do this for decades you're probably not going to do it for that many years. So if you decide to go down this trauma-based mind control road, when is probably not 10 years from now. And since we've been going through this for like, I don't know, three years now? Three years of this bullshit? And it's not ending, and it's only getting dumber, and yeah, it looks like the TV shows and the culture are going the same way as the economics and the business, third stringers and fourth stringers and politically correct appointees are all getting a chance to play. And they're all being told, oh, you're so good at what you do and you're gonna have such a great future. And they're being told this as the people that have the power to make it happen are going to ground. And I think in some cases, people are faking their deaths. But in other cases, I think people are being told the truth and I can't prove it. They're being told the truth and they're simply deciding to opt out. You know, especially for those who are atheists. They're being told the whole thing's almost over and billions of people are gonna die. And even though it's not technically the end of the world, for billions of people, it's gonna be. And if you were told this and maybe you weren't particularly religious, but you had some kind of soul, Maybe you would choose to overdose on drugs. Maybe you would choose to kill yourself. I don't know. I just know that the last few you know, seasons and definitely the last couple episodes of The Walking Dead sucked. Next topic. So I sent out an email to some of my listeners and the subject was, was eggs, you know? Old-timey country style. Old-timey, country-style scrambled eggs. The kind of special country-style biscuit and gravy eggs. And, you know, and I said, look at the prices of eggs. I sent a link to a Fred chart, and this is from the Federal Reserve data site. And it dealt with, with egg price inflation. And I have a few other links in the notes you can look at. Again, if you're listening on Spotify, the link to the notes should be there. It doesn't really get rendered as a, as a hyperlink for whatever reason. Spotify has been doing some 
you know, crooked shit to my account ever since I started the podcast on there a year ago. But like I said, beggars can't be choosers. Beggars can't be choosers. So a friend of mine got some grade A large eggs. And before I go much further, because I got a, I got a comment on Zero Hedge about this. Well, what? Do you, where do you live? Do you live in a city? Blah, 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 blah. No, I live in a rural community, a farming community. Okay? People who raise chickens around here. A friend of mine went to Davis and got a dozen eggs. Grade A eggs. And they were eight bucks. And if you look at the chart for the average price of eggs purchased in a city in an urban environment in the year 2000, roughly, the average price was pretty close to two bucks, you know, two dollars. Um, so is that inflation? And, and for the Austrians out there, I agree with you. Inflation isn't just about the price. It's about how much of the currency is simply being printed you know, fabricated. Um, what's a better word for what the Fed's doing? Oh. Counterfeiting? Counterfeit money? So inflation from an Austrian perspective is a measure of counterfeiting. How much is a central bank simply printing money for which there are no assets, no resources, no nothing backing it up? But whatever your perspective on inflation is, in the year 2000, it took a couple bucks. In fact, in many cases, less than two bucks to buy a dozen eggs. And right now, and again, actually the eggs that were eight bucks, they weren't the expensive kind. They were the cheap kind. If you want to get the cheap eggs at Davis... And I need to correct what I said. If you want to get the cheap eggs at Davis, you're going to spend eight bucks. And if you look at the Fred chart, it's kind of hard to hide it. But in the last couple of years, the price for eggs has gone really nonlinear and exponential. You know, that, that particular curve that measures the rate of increase, the, the rate of change, is becoming quite vertical. Um... So who knows what the price of eggs is in a couple months? Who knows? I mean, if it keeps going like this, I would not be surprised if by the end of the year, a dozen eggs was 24 bucks. And you say, oh my God, Dan, that's crazy. Crazy. Well, I'll never spend 20. You'll spend whatever money you need to spend to stay alive. You'll grow whatever food, if you can, to stay alive. You will. Okay. Or you'll die. You know, don't give me this shit about how you won't do this and won't do that. You'll do what you need to do up to a point. Everybody has a point where they're going to stop. We don't talk about the pigeons or the rats in Skinner's little experiments that simply went to the corner of the cage and committed suicide. We don't. Neither did B.F. Skinner. Didn't really fit his science. Everybody will do what they got to do until they cannot do it any longer. And then, like a Skinner pigeon or a Skinner rat, you'll go to the corner of your proverbial, proverbial cage and you will die. But what I am saying is I would not be surprised by the end of the year if a dozen eggs is 24 bucks. I wouldn't be surprised at all. I mean, there's a lot of things they can manipulate right now. 
And certainly, I think you can make the argument that a lot of the food we're eating is warehouse food, food that they've been stockpiling probably for the last 10 or 15 years. It explains a lot. It explains the quality. It explains the weird smells. It explains a lot. But the thing about the egg situation is, yeah, you can store eggs. You can store them for a long time. Um, I think I've heard about people using formaldehyde or lye. No, lye to do it. Using lye to do it. You can store eggs for a long time. But the bottom line is, is that it's not as easy in some cases as it is to store other kinds of food. Um, and it still wouldn't really impact the price situation that much. I don't know. I mean, I, I guess we're going to find out. You know, a lot of people have been comparing the egg situation to the toilet paper shortage. And, and what I told people in 2020 is that the toilet paper shortage was bullshit. It, it was a controlled burn. It was, it was one of these petty psyops that goes into the category of the boy that cries wolf. It's designed so that the next time something real happens, you'll think it's a joke. Oh, Dan, the egg situation. It's like the toilet paper situation. It's all going to be okay in a couple fucking weeks, Dan. All going to be okay in a couple weeks, Dan. Maybe. I don't know. I mean, you can process that with your own brain case and you can come to your own conclusion. Next topic. But before I continue, I would argue that eggs might be one of the rare things right now economically that's going to allow you to see what's really going on. A lot of the other shit's being covered up. You know, bad food, bad economics, bad loans. But I think the price of eggs is worth keeping an eye on. Uh... And who knows what happens next. Next topic, though, right? I raise my own eggs. I, I have my own chickens that lay eggs. <sighs> you do until you don't. You have the electricity you need to do shit until you don't. Whatever materials you need to raise your chickens, you're going to have until you don't have them. Um, that's it. If you're lucky enough to live in some perfect plot of land that hasn't been polluted by the United States government over the last few decades. I don't know where the fuck that is, but God bless. But um, much of this country is kind of polluted. Between war and peacetime, a lot of places are toxic. And the way in which we practice agriculture, which was highly promoted, the Norman Borlaug way, highly promoted by the United States government, it's not long term. It never was. It was a kind of strip miner's approach to agriculture. Eventually, you would end up destroying a lot of topsoil, and eventually, you would be just pouring poison onto rock and trying to grow food, and it would just stop working. And if you happen to be in a situation where the price of chemicals goes up, well, then you got problems there, too. It was never designed to last. Makes you wonder why they went down that road in the first place. I don't know.
like I said, I'm still recovering from this injury, so if my, my podcasting skills are not up to snuff or I sound cranky, perhaps we have to put that into the Dan's arm still healing box. I don't know. Next topic. So I'm beginning to think that the military psychological warfare and a lot of the censorship that's been going on is becoming unnecessary. Um, And at some point, like so many things, it would simply be shut down. I don't think it's the end of the world. I don't think it's the end of all time. I do think the current epic of human history is about to crash and burn. That's happened before. The argument that Fukuyama made that history was over was bullshit. And I think we're going to see history speeding up, getting crazier, in a way that it hasn't been crazy in perhaps a hundred fucking years. And who knows? I mean, it's going to be ugly, it's going to be crazy. Um, But when these When these military psychological warfare operations began in 2020 in earnest, one of the things I mentioned is that it can't last that long. Like originally, when I thought it was just about economics, when I thought it was just about another big grift, another ripping people off thing, I kind of thought most of it would be over by the end of 2020, that it would just be done. And I kind of use that as a, as a metric or a measure. Like for me, this stopped being about economics in January of 2021. This stopped being about ripping people off. I'm not saying it's not happening. It is. It is. That's baked into the cake. You're fucked financially. But as of January 2021, it became worse. And at that time, I was still willing to say, okay, It's economic collapse, which means, in our case, it's the collapse of the U.S. dollar. It's the collapse of the petrodollar. And that's going to be bad. And you'd probably want to mindfuck people to manage them through that type of transition. So yeah, it's going to be bad, and mindfucking is still on the menu. But even then, you're not going to do it in perpetuity. There's going to be a point at which it simply stops working. And unless you want to drive your entire population batshit fucking crazy, you're going to want to stop. So before I continue on this topic, I don't know that the psyops are over. What I'm going to tell you is I don't believe they're necessary any longer. I think enough of the people that kind of keep the lights on, enough of the people that drive the trucks, enough of the people that make sure whatever protein cubes we can still get, get delivered to wherever you buy your protein cubes at. I think enough of those people are on autopilot. They have fully incorporated the psychological warfare as their paradigm. They have incorporated every variant, the the Wuhan Chinese murder virus variant, it was kind of real variant. It's all about Fauci variant. They've incorporated every variant to include it's so real and it's killing millions variant. They've incorporated all these stories. Even the versions they don't agree with are part of the tapestry that makes up the bullshit that they call reality. They don't need to be fed any more garbage. It's like the Ukraine war. You know, one of the interpretations I have is it's, is they are half-assing it in part because they can. You know, they don't really have to take it that seriously. 
people are burnt the fuck out. And they will simply believe whatever they need to fucking believe so they can go get their scrumptious burger at McGeeble's and they can go to Wally World or, or whatever grocery store to get their frigus and they can make their glimpse salad in the darkness and watch The Walking Dead. You know, it's one of those things I've asked myself in the last couple weeks since the injury. <sighs> if this podcast continues, what does it continue as, you know? And I've been talking about this for a year now, because pretty much since January of 2022, I'm, I've, I've, I'm, I've been of the opinion since January 2022 that it's probably more likely than not at this point that whatever they're trying to cover up is way worse than the collapse of the dollar. You know, in January 21, I would have said collapse of the dollar. That's what they're managing. A year ago, I would have said it's worse. Now I'm certain it's worse. And I'm also certain it doesn't fucking matter to talk about it. It's kind of like listening to Dane Wigington. He talks about lawsuits. He talks about handing out flyers and wearing t-shirts, taking pictures, posting them on his website. None of those, none of that is ever going to work. Okay? If you believed it could work, my negative attitude about it is irrelevant. So if anyone's going to email me saying, well, Dan, the reason why it can't work is because of you. No, no. Now, the reason why it doesn't work is it can't work. If Dane Wigington is right about what they've been doing, and if he's right about what's going to happen next, then it's way too fucking late for t-shirts and rallies. It's way too fucking late for voting for people as if voting ever fucking worked. It's way too late for YouTube channels and podcasts and Twitter accounts. It's too late. Are there things you could do? I'm not even sure there are things you could do that fit into the we can't talk about it on the internet category. I don't think there's a fucking thing you can do if Dane Wigington is right. None of the psychological warfare that we have been going through was ever designed to last much more than a couple years, maybe five years at the most. And since the beginning, it has seemed like they've been managing, it seemed to me like they've been managing a fuzzy event, which means an event that has a probability window but doesn't have a specific fucking day when it happens. And there are lots of things that fit into that category to include the collapse of the U.S. dollar. But, but the nonsense has become almost, you know, self-replicating. It's, it's like they started these mind viruses, these variants of various race war, Trump-Biden trauma drama, monkey herpes COVID, and now the Ukraine mind viruses, and they're simply perpetuating on their own. They don't even require any intervention. It's a lot like that Q bullshit from for the last five, six years. Once you start that bullshit, it takes on a life of its own. And, and, and it doesn't really matter if Q is real because Q becomes part of that culture part of that cult. You can't spell culture without cult. You can't, you know. You know, I, I'm trying to put this in terms 
Um, and you have to forgive me because my brain is a little bit out there because of the pain management, but I'm trying to simplify this. And the simplest thing I would say is what I've said. I don't think they need to censor any longer. Are they going to censor? Probably. But I think in the last few months, we've crossed the Rubicon. In the last few months, I've come to accept that most of the people I know, even the quote-unquote enlightened people who supposedly see things for what they are, most of the people I know have given into, um, you know, the lesser catastrophe syndrome. And I understand psychologically why it's a way of coping. You know, right now, the lesser catastrophes are things like inflation, stagflation, hyperinflation, unemployment, recession, depression. Even economic collapse at this point fits into the category of a lesser catastrophe. Frankly, even the peak oil bullshit fits into that category now. And so most of the people I know are bargaining for lesser catastrophes. They're trying to convince themselves, well, it's going to be this bad, but no worse. And when I started talking about how bad this could be in 2020, I used various scales of, of thought. I said, let's think in terms of, of what we could call 100, 500, 1,000 year and 10,000 year events. You know, a 100 year event that's so big that its repercussions last a few centuries are things like World War I, you know. World War I was a 100 year event. A good example of a 500-year event, an event that can affect the better part of a millennium, would be, you know, the 14th century crisis. Um, it took many hundreds of years for population to recover, but it wasn't the end of the world, okay? It was terrible. It was terrible, the various things that happened in the 14th century in Western Europe, but it wasn't the end of the world. You also can't beat up on people for thinking it was. 1,000-year events usually result in what's called a localized dark age. Now, what is a localized dark age? A localized dark age is a dark age where for that region, whatever the region is, a good example would be Western Europe from the 5th century through maybe the 9th century AD. But a dark age is an age where you have very little written history. You have a lot of oral history, um, but, but not a lot of stuff written down. You have a lot of mythology. You know, a lot of the Christian proto-paganistic mythology, a lot of the, the kings and the queens and the dragons and blah, 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 a lot of that mythos comes from that period in Western Europe between the 5th and the 9th century AD. Um, it doesn't mean all of Western Europe was a shit show, but after the Roman Empire, specifically the Western Empire fell in the 5th century, most of the West was kind of a shit show. And there's not a lot of written history. You have some monks, you know, keeping track of shit in some monastery someplace. You have the, the developing power of the papacy and whatever, the, whatever fucking shit they're keeping track of. Um, but other than that, for that period, there, there wasn't a lot of written history. That would be the example of the impact of a thousand year event. The collapse of the Western Roman Empire was that big. Um, that significant, that you created for a region, not the whole world. This doesn't apply to the Byzantine Empire, which was the Eastern Roman Empire. This doesn't apply to China. 
This doesn't apply to any other region, but for that region of the world, you had a dark age. That's a 1,000 year event and the impacts of it. And then there are 10,000 year events. Um, and, and if you're kind of gauging a bit of a logarithmic scale here, it's not accidental. Um, a 10,000 year event is an event so big, so disastrous, so terrible, that many thousands of years from now, when people read about us in some book, and who knows, if 20,000 years from now there's a book written, and it's a history of the world, a 10,000 year event is so bad that all we get for the last 7,000 years of human history in that particular book is maybe a paragraph, maybe a few sentences. That's all we get. That other than radioactive material and a few forever chemicals, very little or nothing survives a 10,000 year event. Doesn't mean it's the end of the world. It just means shit got that bad. It means that things got that terrible that you have essentially a kind of dark age, the ultimate dark age, because all you know about those people from thousands of years ago are fragments, some mythology, some fragments, about enough history to fit into a fucking paragraph. As of a year ago, I was more inclined to believe that what we were looking at was somewhere between a 500 year event and worst case, something that I would call a 10,000 year event. And as of this month, I think that it's probably closer to what we would call a 10,000 year event. And if that's the case, then yeah, you can psyop people, you can censor, you can do propaganda, but at some point, the sort of spooky ability for people to key into what's, what's going on, that kicks in too. And it's not just the normalcy bias. It's that they are not going to accept any scenario that doesn't have them retiring, that doesn't have them and their kids having grandkids and great-grandkids. They won't accept a scenario where what they've come to accept is stable and solid and forever just disappears. I think we're somewhere between a 1,000 year and a 10,000 year event. Best case scenario, we're looking at a lot of fucking chaos. And I don't know how else to put it. Um, yeah, I think I'm going to close out the podcast here in a second. I have some more notes. I'll have to move around. But that's where I'm at, folks. It's why, and I know this has been hard for me to close out this thought, but it's why I'm beginning to think that even if they're still doing the censorship and doing the propaganda at full speed and maybe they roll out another race war psyop pretty soon, it's why I'm of the opinion it doesn't really matter at this point either because I think people have internalized it. They are completely keyed in. 
they have maximized their denial and their anger and their bargaining and they're settling for whatever crooked lesser catastrophe allows them to envision themselves not dying alone cold in a ditch someplace and there's no way you're going to get past that no way no way you're going to convince those people at this moment if this is where we're at to change and i'm not even sure you should like i just don't know as a christian i think we should speak the truth and as a christian if this is a ten thousand year event then i'm inclined to believe that you know if there's a god and if the christian faith is true I'm inclined to believe we're in the end times, but I'm not ready to pull the trigger on that yet. Uh, it's not out of fear. It's not out of any type of corruption. I'm just not knowledgeable enough to feel comfortable telling anybody it's the end times. But yeah, for probably about a year, and especially the last couple months, I think we're beyond collapse the U.S. dollar. You know, for those of you, well, I'll just put my money into Chinese yuan. I'll buy bit. I'll buy cryptocurrency. I'll, I'll fill my attic and my basement with ammo and gold and MREs. No, if it's a ten thousand year event, that's going to help you. But it's not going to help you that much. And if it's a ten thousand year event, it doesn't really matter if 2023 is the last quote-unquote normal year. These types of events, you know, transition over decades uh, in, in many cases. So if it's that big of an event, we may not have any dramatic things happen this year. I kind of think we're gonna, but we might not, you know. Um, these types of events are that big that a lifetime could be lived during the worst of it, during the craziest part of it, before you even remotely get to whatever you would call the next equilibrium state, the next state of stability. apologize to my listeners because of the injury my podcasts haven't really been that great and um they've been a bit erratic i do i i intend to heal to do my physical therapy to get better and to continue um and if you were to say to me dan if you believe what you believe why are you podcasting i'll tell you what i would have told you six fucking years ago I keep doing it because I enjoy it. I, I don't think I ever believed I would become podcast famous or successful completely. I, do I have some financial support? Enough to get, keep me going right now. Enough to pay for some rent and for some you know, medical stuff that I don't have the money for or the insurance for. Enough to do a little bit of stuff around the edges. I don't think I'm going to become rich off of this. I did it to begin with for the same reason I'm mainly doing it today. It helps me. It's selfish. It's very selfish. Am I doing it to deceive? No. Am I doing it to simply dump my feelings on the human race? No. But I am doing it for personal reasons. And those personal reasons are legit even if at some point I find out that I've been simply talking to an empty room. 
that I've been put into a simulated environment where I periodically get donations and emails and maybe even the people that I've made friends with are, are actors, you know? Who knows? That's pretty paranoid, but if you assumed all that was the case, I'd still be doing this podcasting today for the same reasons I did it six years ago. I enjoy it. And I am happy there are people that enjoy listening to me. And I am happy that if my perspectives are accurate enough that I can help people. I don't think I can help you make millions off the stock market. But one person to another, one human to another, we can help each other not go crazy. As the world seems to be going crazy, we can try to find one humble, small island of sanity out there. And it's not just me. It's people like me and people like you and people simply willing to ask questions and not simply consume the information like it's coming from some ladle in some Dickensian story from the 19th century of having grumptous stew poured into an orphan's mouth. If we're willing to throw the ladle at the old grizzly freak, if we're willing to say, I don't believe this, or at least I can question this, you know, it's an island of sanity where people can ask questions. In fact, you could argue that one of the features of sanity, if it's a thing, if it's a thing beyond the context of some Foucaultian historicism, if sanity is a thing, one of the important critical features of sanity is the willingness to ask questions and the willingness to accept that in other people. So maybe beyond just me enjoying podcasting, what I'm trying to do is create a tiny community of sanity. And before I close this out, if you have taken care of your food, your water, your shelter, if you've taken care of your pets, and that includes stockpiling food for your dogs and cats, don't be a dick, you know? Don't just stockpile MREs for you. If you have a dog, if you have a cat, you should at least think about buying them a few months too. If you've taken care of your food, your water, your shelter, if you've paid your bills that you need to pay, if you've taken care of the people you love and care about, if you've done all the above and you still have some money left over, there'll be a link to PayPal in the notes and in the information for this podcast and you can donate. You can donate as much or as little as you want to, to include nothing. You listening to the podcast is you donating your time. And, you know, if you mention it to other people, you're participating in guerrilla marketing and God bless. So you're not required to give me any money. There's no paywall. And I try not to be a dick about it. I mean, I try to consistently at the end say, hey, give an old hobo with a broken arm money for cocaine for hookahs, for heroin, for fentanyl, for PCP, for, you know, for all of it. And I'll do all of it in a weekend with four or five sweaty hookers. And we'll have hooker-style sex, but, you know, but, but I'm probably not going to do that. Probably I'll use the money to pay for rent and food. Maybe for some weed. Maybe some beer at some point when I heal. I'll use it to support the show, to keep the blog going. Probably not the hookers and cocaine. If you have the resources, you can donate. If you don't have the resources, you don't have to, and you don't have to feel bad about it. Um, 
You know, we're all kind of doing the best we can in the situation we find ourselves in. And for those of us who suspect we're being lied to, it's doubly frustrating and it's kind of painful. But, but like I said, brothers and sisters, as angry and nasty and old, nasty, disease-ridden, riddled, curmudgeon as I am, and as rude and mean as I sound sometimes, I thank you for listening, for simply listening if you do. I thank you for being out there. You don't have to agree with me, but having the courage to ask enough questions that you'll listen to a perspective like mine, even if you don't agree with it. Um, and to keep asking questions and to be one of those people, an island of sanity in this ocean of chaos and madness. So for Saturday the 14th, January 2023, in the age of Doc. Yes, for January the 14th, 2023, have a great rest of your weekend. Enjoy yourself. Find yourself a woman or a man. Find yourself a hooker queen or a gigolo king. Get yourself some old-fashioned whiskey wine. Go down to the river and hang out with the screechers and the creatures and the tentacle people. Go get yourself one of those salmon that the gills are all covered in tumors and cooking on a fucking stick. Find yourself a pig out there someplace, a small pig or maybe nutria or some type of small animal and stick it on your fire and roast it up. Stick it in your sandwich pocket and shove it down your glinktus pipe. Have a great rest of your weekend. <laughs>